Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you, and in the Monday, another week, where we are set to continue our reflections, at least this Monday and Tuesday, on the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 26, so the game plan this evening is to wrap up our reflection into Genesis chapter 26. This will have us talking about a number of things about what was going on in the covenant-making between Isaac and Abimelech. Certainly, there is subject matter to discuss. Now, before we get into that, I did just want to continue to thank all of you who are taking time out of your busy schedule, not only locally here in Chico, California, and Butte County, but also those who are tuning in by way of podcast. I want to especially recognize this evening those who are listening in the states of Minnesota, Missouri, Iowa, Ohio, Uh, Nevada, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Also, the countries of Canada, Mexico, uh, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, those countries that I continue to see in South America, as well as Western Europe, Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany. Uh, Also, I see Poland and, and Croatia. So all of those countries out there, all of you who are taking time again, to listen to Seeds of Truth. And, you know, here we are. I think this is program number 52, maybe? 52 on the book of Genesis, and we are in chapter 26. We are just past the halfway point and 52 programs later. But it's taken us 52 programs because, as I've noted before on more than one occasion, there is so much here about just not how God has worked in salvation history to carry his covenant family, but also, and more specifically, those relational principles that we deal with today. You see them going on 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. And you know, if it doesn't strike you, I don't know what will, because there's something about human nature and how it kind of withstands a test of time that becomes a major point of reflection for us. Now, this evening, we are going to talk about how we have one party wanting to take credit for something that another party did. And so we're going to talk about this. And it's going to be very important for some of us because this might be something we struggle with. And uh, we do need to engage it for what it is. All right. All that being said, if you don't have your Bibles out, please grab your Bibles and we will turn to Genesis chapter 26. And I am going to go ahead and read, let's see here, verses uh, 17 to 33. 17 to 33. And now, as the Ignatius commentary reminds us here, and, and we've been pulling quite a bit from the Ignatius commentary, what we have here is a series of disputes over wells dug and redug by the patriarchs. Now, Isaac stands out amidst the quarreling as a man of patience, as he's waiting for the Lord to, to give him room to claim a well of his own. Right, so we are also going to be able to talk about uh, virtue this evening, the virtue of patience. So with that, verse 17. Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. 
And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of springing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isaac, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well. And over that they did not quarrel. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father, fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. I love that verse. 26. Then Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahusath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord is with you. So we say, Let there be an oath between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and took oath with one another. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He called it Shavah. Therefore the name of the city is Beer Shavah to this day. All right, if those verses sound familiar, they should, because what you have going on in those verses is very, very similar to what you had going on when we were reading about Abraham in Genesis 21. We're going to talk about that as well. All right, as I said off the top, there is a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in. What I want to do is start with verse 25. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So what we have here is Isaac continuing this priestly legacy of his father Abraham, who consecrated several sites in Canaan, right, with sacrificial altars. He wanted to make sure that God possessed that land that he lived in. And again, this is what Abraham did in Canaan. And what else is going on here? Is not a seed being planted for what we are going to read about in the great story that we find in the book of Exodus, the Exodus itself, that the Israelites were not freed for the sake of their freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. No, Israel was never to be just another autonomous nation. Once they found the promised land, as Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI would remind us, <laughs> It just wasn't enough for them to live as any other nation, as much as to live as the chosen nation. How do you sanctify a land? How do you make holy a place? Well, invoke God's presence. Worship God as the one true God. 
enter into a covenant relationship with God. What's the first thing that Noah did? Huh? When he found land, but offered up a holocaust to God. Because it is in the offering up of a sacrificial holocaust, and this is what we see all throughout the Old Testament, is when you actually enter into covenant relationship with God. And that the one true God might now dwell just not within your family, but on the land you call home. This is why, my friends, it is so important for us to have our homes blessed. This is why it is so important for us to understand that it is just never enough to call another place home and dress it up with all of this beautiful furniture, getting new countertops, putting up all of, all of this beautiful art on the wall. If it is not beauty and art that invokes the presence of God, that brings about the presence of God, that signifies the presence of God, that points to the presence of God, first and foremost, have that house blessed. Make your place a home, my friends, that when people come to visit your home, they say, I not only see God's presence, but I feel God's presence. I, I was going through these verses for this evening, thinking to myself, I cannot wait to talk about this because I don't know if I have ever talked about this. You know, there is certain subject matter that I don't talk about for a long time. Patience, that virtue of patience we'll talk about here in a bit. I haven't talked about that in a long time, but there are some things I don't know uh, and mea culpa for this, but I don't know if I've ever talked about. And this is one of them. The importance of making your home just not hospitable for those who might visit your home, but hospitable within the context of virtue. Within the context of virtue. That sense of discipline insofar as it reaches out to God. I want to make my home a place where people see God's presence but also feel God's presence. And when we bless our homes, when we live lives of joy and giving, what begins to happen is, yes, our homes become places of God's presence. And yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong to offer up praise and worship to God in your home. Certainly we have churches where, where we go to to do that. That's central as it relates to the liturgy. But our homes are, are kind of outposts, if you will, to those local churches. That we can, we can even praise and, and worship God within our homes. And for everything that I'm talking about now, what do we read? So he built an altar there and he called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Well, because God dwells here, now I'm ready to pitch tent. Uh, I love that phrase. By the way, if you were to fast forward to the, the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, what do we read there? And the flesh dwelt among us. The Greek there is tabernaclus. Tabernaclus. Literally, God pitched his tent. God tabernacled. God made his flesh presence known. All right? So we can say once we've blessed our homes, we have truly pitched our tent, if you will. So important in a day and age where we go into homes and we feel isolation and loneliness. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's invoke the presence of God and, and pitch our tent, okay? All right, very good. How about 
what's going on between Isaac and Abimelech. As I've already noted, this certainly echoes Abraham and Abimelech. The Hebrew word Shavah, Shavah spelled S-H-I-B-A-H, uh, it means seven. Now, when we were exploring the covenant between Abraham and Abimelech, we touched upon this point. But what is really interesting, and I want to be clear on this, is as Shabbat literally translates seven, it also resembles the word for oath, Shevulah. Shevulah, all right? And in the Hebrew, it's very, very close. Is that intentional? Of course it is. Why? Because how did you enter into in oath, but by exchanging seven of something. And in the case of Abraham and Abimelech, it was seven ewe lambs. Oh, by the way, my friends, how many sacraments do we have in the church? Seven. What does the word sacrament mean? It comes from the Latin sacramentum, and it translates as oath. Do you see what's going on here? If covenant is about entering into this very uh, real personal relationship with the triune God, then we do this most beautifully and profoundly in the seven sacraments of the church. Essentially, the seven sacraments are seven oath-binding ceremonies where we enter into a deeper relationship with God and, oh, by the way, also with one another, with one another uh, in the sacrament of marriage and holy orders. Shavah. Be'er Shavah means well of seven or well of the oath. Many great covenants have been made by the well. Of course, a number of your major patriarchs were married or met their future wives by the well. Uh, the well is very important. How about the woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman at the well. Any well? No. Jacob's well, the same well where Jacob united the 12 tribes of Israel, is the same well where Jesus Christ encountered the Samaritan woman. That's significant because... Why? It's Jacob's sons that split 10 of the tribes going north and two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, going south. Those 10 tribes going north is what caused the, the great division in salvation history. Once you had that, you had the prophets calling the northern tribes to come back so that the 12 tribes would be reunited. It was God's deepest desire that his chosen people be reunited, right? And so what does he do? He meets this Samaritan woman, which again, Samaritan, Samaria. Samaria is where the 10 tribes went to, to worship the false gods. And he says, hey, you no longer worship five false gods, five false husbands. But now you are called to worship the one true God, as I have come to reunify the 12 tribes of Israel under the umbrella of this new covenant church which will be evangelized and catechized with the 12 apostles and those who they consecrate. So the well is very, very significant. Man, I tell you what, my friends, I don't know about you, but I personally have always found it uh, so fascinating how God in history uses place to grab our attention and to draw our focus on something. And of course, in this case, Jesus Christ meeting the Samaritan woman, what does he want to do? He wants to draw our focus, our attention on what he's come to do. Reunify the 12 tribes and call it the new covenant church. That the new covenant church is called to worship the one true God. So the well 
is very important. And the well is very important because often when you see the well in Scripture, both old and new, it evokes covenant language. And none of this should be lost on us when we read these passages. The well of seven, the well of the oath. And of course, this is remembered as the place where Abraham and Isaac made covenants with their neighbors. All right, now... In the back of the St. Ignatius commentary, they offer up questions, and you know, I, I really haven't touched upon many of these questions. I ask my own questions, but certainly there was an important question back here that came up as I, as I was reading through it. When you read carefully verses 17 to 22 and, and really meditate with it, what you see is someone wanting to take credit for another person's work. And the question as it is posed in the Ignatius commentary is, what do you think of Isaac's way of handling this situation? How would you deal with persons who took credit for or even took over your efforts? Right? So this is something we have to be present to because ultimately what we have to be present to is giving each their due. Right? This is about the carnal virtue of justice. The carnal virtue of justice, giving each their due. I was reading about justice recently from Peter Kraft's work, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Heaven. And he was responding to another question. Will we all be equal in heaven? And I wanted to read his response to this question because I think to some degree it addresses the question in the back of the Ignatius commentary. This is Peter Kraft. He says, will we all be equal in heaven by God's grace? No. How awful that would be. Almost as awful as knowing everything. Having no heroes... Being unable to look up to anyone would be hell, not heaven. I love that. We modern egalitarians are tempted to the primal sin of pride. Pride in the opposite way from the ancients. The old aristocratic form of pride was the desire to be better than others. The new democratic form is the desire not to have anyone better than yourself. I think that's what lies at the heart, my friends, of that problem of not giving people credit when they deserve credit. He goes on, it is just as spiritually deadly and does not even carry with it the false pleasure of gloating superiority. Flat, boring, repetitive sameness is simply not the structure of reality in a theistic universe, either on earth or in heaven. I want to drop down to where he talks about God's justice. God's justice is not ours. It surprises ours in a double way. On the one hand, the one-hour workers receive the same pay as all the day workers in Christ's parable. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Kreft continues, but on the other hand, to him who already has, more will be given and from him who has not even what he has will be taken away. Human justice, he says, is outraged by both halves of Christ's paradoxical justice. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what he's trying to establish? That justice being defined as giving each their due is not the same. Is not the same as justice being defined as equality, the way in which we want it defined today. And this is the point that Peter Kraft is making. Justice does not mean equality. Consider 
the natural world, my friends, in a poem, in the universe, in mathematics, in architecture. Everywhere there is natural justice, but only to the degree that there is inequality. As Kreft puts it here, the yin and the yang, male and female, higher, lower, east and west, light and darkness, land and water. Brothers and sisters, what is complementary is what is just. In the natural world, it is unique. And that's why it draws us in. We travel the world to see certain locations and certain structures and, and certain natural monuments. Why? Because you can't find them anywhere else. That's what makes them so beautiful. Right? There's only one Yosemite. There's only one Niagara Falls. There's only one Mount Fuji. There's only one Grand Canyon. There's only one of everything because everything is unequal. That's the point. That's the genius. And I know I'm getting excited here, but by golly, I tell you what, we miss this totally and entirely. Peter Kreft says later, one of the astonishing blind spots, and I could not agree more, of modernity is its unquestioning fixation on equality. I go to Peter Kreft here in relationship to the book of Genesis. And that great question of not giving people their due. Because you've heard me talk about this before within the context of the mystic. Each and every one of us has been given something that is totally unique and particular to who we are. There's only one Joe Holcraft. There's only one Jane Doe and so on and so forth. And it is our job to give glory to God as he calls us to give glory to God. Because he says to us... I created you because only you can glorify me the way I've called you to glorify me. No one else can do it. And that truth is quintessential to these verses because if we are not giving credit to those who deserve credit, then what kind of sin is that but the sin of stealing, right? Now, if you are someone who struggles with this particular sin— then in the spirit of St. Augustine, right? Struggle with it in grace, huh? Because whatever has been given to you, if it is in fact a gift from that person, that gift rightfully belongs to that person. And by extension, God. Remember the all-important words of St. Thomas Aquinas, that all of our good acts is nothing but God crowning his own gifts. To fail to recognize someone and what they have done is to fail to recognize what God has done through them. What God has done through them. You know, I'm here on the radio and I, I'm quoting different folks and, and, and saints and, and I try to do my best about making sure that I'm giving due credit, right? This evening we're drawing from the Ignatius Commentary. Um, I'm drawing from Peter Kreft, so I make a point to talk about the Ignatius Commentary and Peter Kreft because the wisdom comes from them, right? What we're doing here is just, in the case of using their knowledge, reflecting with that knowledge that we might be more enriched, okay? And that's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works organically, and we are really made to appreciate this. So the overarching point here is, is to make sure that 
we do recognize those who have given us the gift. And if it's an intellectual gift, we recognize the intellectual gift. Because, again, in the case of Peter Kraft, it's God speaking through Peter Kraft. It's, it's God speaking through the authors of the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. It's God speaking through whomever I choose to quote. But this is just me here on the radio. I would say to you, you know what that looks like for you. And if you're someone who struggles with this for, for one reason or another, then struggle with it in grace. Otherwise, if all you're doing is piggybacking on everyone else, never really taking ownership of what you have to contribute to it, then again, that'll just be dull, boring, repetitious. And life is so much more than that. What's the great line from C.S. Lewis? In essence, it's, he says, history is filled with boring, tyrannical villains. But oh, the beauty of the saints. Therein lies wonder. Why would C.S. Lewis say that? Because the wonder comes in the uniqueness of all the saints. No one saint is the same. No one saint is the same. This theme of, of what is unique to who we are and this call we have to become a mystic, to, to reveal the mystery of God, as only we can reveal the mystery of God, has been so important for me because I do think in, in 2018 we need to fulfill this, fulfill this vocation to become the mystic that we are called to be. We are baptized into Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He is the great revealer of mystery. So let's enter into the depth of that mystery, the mysterious love. Amen? Amen. I'm looking up at the clock and time flew by this evening. I didn't get a chance to talk about patience. So tomorrow evening, be rest assured, what I'm going to do is kickstart our programming with a reflection on patience because Isaac does. I think model patience. So uh, we'll talk about that and then jump into uh, Isaac and the firstborn blessing, how he kind of intercepts, if you will, as it has been said, the firstborn blessing. All right, all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.